1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible
2: teacher, Tom Cantor. So this promise here in verse 19, of being given just what you're going to need to say at the time. It's extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. Like the parting of the Red Sea. That was extraordinary. It was far from ordinary. It didn't happen every day. You know, I love this passage in Exodus 14.10. The whole history of it all, Exodus 14.10, just kind of summarized, is getting closer and closer with his chariots. They lift up their eyes. It says they're painfully afraid, sore afraid, the children of Israel are. And, uh, and then they start with their anxieties that drives them to say wrong things. Oh, Moses, because there weren't, any, there weren't any Jewish graves, there weren't any stars of David in Egypt, and so that's why you brought us out here to kill us, because you didn't want to have the graves there. And didn't we tell you it'd be better for us if we just would have served the Egyptians and rather than die here in the wilderness? Really bad words. And Moses says, fear ye not, like take no thought. Don't worry. Stand still, keep your eyes open, because you're gonna see something extraordinary, it's gonna be the salvation of the Lord he's gonna show you today, and those Egyptians that are hot on your trail, you won't see them alive anymore. And so the Lord said to Moses, he says to Moses, he says, uh, go out there, lift up your rod, lift up your rod over the sea, and divide it, can you imagine that? He says, God said to Moses, take that stick in your hand, Lift it up and divide that big ocean in front of you. (laughs) Yeah, like that had happened before. And then he explained to him, he says he's going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. He's going to be honored with them. And uh, Moses did it. And um, all of a sudden, the Egyptians were in a lot of darkness and confusion. I don't know why these chariots aren't working the way they did yesterday. There's something wrong with the wheels. Where's the guy who serviced the wheels? You know, they're not working Right. Meanwhile, Moses stretches out his arm, he stretched out his hand over the sea, and this huge, strong east wind comes, so strong the waters divide, and the children of Israel go right through the middle of that ocean there on dry ground, not even muddy sand, dry ground. And they got a wall on this side and a wall on that side. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that group, walk in there and say, Wow, never saw that before. That's a pretty tall wall of water, isn't it? Yeah, both sides. I wonder what would happen if one of the sides fell in. Don't think about that. Just keep walking. (laughs) Right? That would be amazing. Now, so what was so remarkable about that history is what happened. You know, wall of of those, whoa, you know. Just like in Matthew 10, 20, in verse 20, the miracle of the Spirit speaking in a child of God. What was remarkable about that history was totally unpredictable. Nobody could have said, well, this is what's gonna happen. You know, Maybe some meteors could come down from the sky and kill all the Egyptians. Okay, that's one option I can understand. But the ocean, dividing up like that, not predictable. No one could have imagined it. Just like in verse 19, no one can imagine the words that are gonna be given. And the other thing that's remarkable about it is when it happened, when it happened, Moses didn't say, well, I'm gonna go up ahead here, come and I'll have that, that ocean all divided right for you, just follow me. So not what happened. It happened just when the Egyptians were closing in, in the, it was a Jit miracle, that was adjusted time also, not in advance, just like he said in verse 19, the right words would be given in that same hour, at that split second, when they're needed, not in advance. It's interesting that uh, it talks about here, it says that it'll be given you, and it's very interesting when you look at the parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, where it says this, when they bring you into the synagogues, into the magistrates and powers, take no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. See, the given you in Matthew 10, 19 is explained in Luke 12, 12 as the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour. The given you is a form of teaching. That means that when we're under the gun, when we're under verbal attack, when we really gotta come forward, the Holy Ghost not just gives words to repeat, but it not judges puts words in the mouth, but he teaches us, in other words, on the spot, we get a new understanding of something, something we never saw before. I have never learned so much as when I'm under verbal attack. Just a couple of days ago, I was speaking with a rabbi, we were looking at Matthew, and he could not understand how in the book of Matthew, Mary had a child from the Holy Spirit. And he was saying to me, Who wrote that account? Helping me. Was he there? Well, Matthew, did, did he know? Was he there? How did he know that? Who told that writer that? How do you know that's true? See, it was a lot of questions left and right. And it was just at that time when I responded and I saw something at that moment that I understood something. And it was how important it was that when you're going through the New Testament, don't stop. Keep on going, even some things that are hard to understand because it was just then I saw an analogy and I said to him, his son, his name is Yossi, Rabbi, just picture a beautiful day and you say to your son, Yossi, you and I are gonna take a ride together and we're gonna go to the bagel factory. And this is a wonderful bagel factory. Tell your son that you're going to see how, not only see how bagels are made, but there's going to be Jewish music there, and the bagel chefs are going to dance a dance, and you told Yossi that you're really going to enjoy it all. So you start off on your ride, and 10 minutes into the ride, Yossi says, are we there yet? And you say, not yet. And Yossi says, stop the car. I'm getting out. You told me we are going to the bagel factory. We're not there yet. I want out. I don't want to go any further. And you say to him, Yossi, Yossi, please, please, just wait. Just keep going as the ride's going to be worth it. Just wait. You're really going to enjoy seeing the bagel factory. So you continue trip. About 10 minutes later, Yossi says, are we there yet? (laughs) <laughs> and you say, Not yet. Yossi, said, okay, that's it. That's it. That's really it. Stop the car. I've had it. You promised we were gonna see the bagel factory. You haven't delivered and, and I don't want any go any longer. And you say, Yossi, and you turned around to your son, you say, Yossi, you're killing me. You're killing me. Please be patient. I know how much you're gonna like the bagel factory. Just wait a little bit. You'll see the ride was worth it. And I told the rabbi, I said, please don't let the account of the virgin birth stop you from continuing on the ride in the New Testament, because I promise you that if you continue on this ride, you're going to get a prize of eternal life. You'll be adopted as a child of God. And I told her, don't be like Yossi and say, that's it. I not got what you said I'd get eternal life. And I want to stop and get out of the car. Now, I never saw that analogy before about his son's impatience, but I was taught by God when I was under the gun and I had to say, because of Luke 12, 12. The Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. And this is something that is not easy to understand. So in history of Moses, we always think, oh, Moses, the great Moses. Well, there were some not so great times of his life too, just like in our lives. And when God told Moses that he was to go to Pharaoh, and speak for God to Pharaoh. Moses didn't want it. Moses didn't want the job. He didn't want to speak to God for because Moses felt he wasn't a good speaker. That's what he felt. He felt that it's not my my gift, Moses would say. And he argued with God in Exodus four ten. Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's tongue? And who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. So again, you know, Moses looks at himself, and he says, Not me, God, not me. You chose the wrong person. I'm not eloquent. I'm not fast on my feet. I'm not quick. He says, I got the slow, slow, slow of speech condition. I got the slow tongue syndrome. Lord, there's so many better speakers than me. Go you chose the wrong person. And here's how God responded when God with those arguments and in God responded essentially with Matthew 10:19. Moses, don't worry about it. It'll be given to you what you'll say in the hour. As we saying in Exodus 4:12, I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Moses told God I'm very weak in the mouth department. And God says, I'll be with your weak mouth. He says, in essence, he was kind of saying, God was kind of saying to Moses, Psalm 81.10, open thy mouth wide and I'll fill it. So in essence, that's what Moses was being told. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say. Just trust God, it'll be given you. Same thing, it's interesting. I don't know what it is, but same thing happened with the prophet Jeremiah in his um, commissioning chapter, which is chapter one of Jeremiah. And he had the same problem as Moses did when God called him to speak, Jeremiah 1.5. Before God told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, this is Jeremiah, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm a child. But the Lord said unto him, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. The Lord said unto me, Behold, I put my words in thy mouth. So again, Jeremiah, same like Moses, he says, not me. I can't speak, I'm a child. And God told to Jeremiah, don't talk that way. Don't ever say that. Don't look at yourself as if you have to come up with the words. It's not about you coming up with the words. It's about me putting the words in your mouth. In Jeremiah 1, 9, I put my words in thy mouth. So in essence, God's telling Jeremiah, don't be anxious. He's telling him what we're reading here in Matthew in ten nineteen. And then there, there was those three children. Three children of God is what they were. Three, they acted like children. It was wonderful about them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're talking to the, the, the supreme leader, the supreme, anyway, the king of Babylon, and, uh, and they're being told, if you don't worship this idol, then you're going to be cast into the blazing fiery furnace, and so, you know, that would make somebody anxious, right, what you're going to say, but instead, it's interesting what they did say in Daniel 3.16, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter, <laughs> That's funny. Uh, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver you from the burning, fiery furnace. When they said, we're not careful to answer thee, they were saying the words essentially of Matthew 10, 19, take no thought how or what you shall speak. We're not going to think about it. We're not going to get all hung up about it. We're not going to sit here and cogitate about it. We're not going to be anxious about it. We're not careful. Just We're not careful about what we're going to say. Because God was with their mouths, and God was teaching them what to say. And God was putting the words in their mouth. When you say, our God's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Oh, yeah, sure. He did. Not only did he, they would say, our God's going to be with our mouth. He's going to deliver us from the fiery Not only was he with their mouths, he was with them in the fiery furnace. And they just, God put those words in his mouth. Just like he did with Peter. Peter and the apostles in Acts 5:29. Acts 5:29. Peter and other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. We are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. We are his witnesses and so is also the Holy Ghost. He's saying, what they're saying, there's two parties speaking here. We are one party, and you can hear those words in your ears, and the Holy Ghost is the other party speaking, and you can hear his words in your heart. So they were saying, they were saying, Matthew 10, 20, verse 20, it's not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And Paul, who was the great, orator, the great spokesman for God to the nations of the world, the Gentiles of the world, he was. And Paul didn't look at himself and said, I can do this. I've been trained to speak. Just let me hear the bell and I'll come out of that boxer's ring swinging. I can do this. I'm ready and strong. He didn't do that. Not at all. But what Paul said about his speaking to the Gentile nations, it was in 2 Timothy 4, 17, when he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known. Fully known. So, the Lord is talking to some very anxious 12 disciples, and I've said what he said here in Matthew. It's interesting how he also puts it in Luke 21. It says, but before all these things, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering up to the synagogues and into the prisons, being brought before kings, rulers for my namesake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which all the adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. He says, settle it right now. Don't let your mind be like the waves in the beach back and forth back and forth churning churning he says settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate don't think about it before what you shall answer now he says he says to them in verse 20 it's not ye that speak but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you so he's saying here if you get all hung up on how you're going to say it and your eloquence all that then you'll be the human speaker and you will crowd out the divine speaker. But what he's saying here is that when the human speaker disappears, then the divine speaker is seen. And that's what happened with Joseph. Joseph, this man who's a prisoner, he's hurried out of prison, he barely has time enough to shower and shave, get some clothes on, decent clothes, before he's ushered in to speak to Pharaoh. And when it comes time for him to speak, Joseph so disappeared that the divine speaker was seen. In other words, Matthew 10:20 was so evident: it's not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. That Pharaoh, watching and hearing Joseph speak, came to the conclusion in Genesis 41:38: Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Joseph got out of the way. He got out of the way so the Spirit of God could be seen in Matthew 10, 20. It's not you that speak, the Spirit of your Father speaketh in you. So you see here, when he says this in Matthew 10, 20, it's not you that speak, but the Spirit of God, he's setting up a contrast here. There's a contrast. The contrast is between you that speak and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of your Father who's speaking. And so the key here to not being anxious is to have this great anticipation, good anticipation, an anticipation that the Spirit of your Father will speak, an anticipation that not only will the will of God be done, but the Spirit of God's gonna speak, but he's also gonna control the events. God is gonna control the events that where you're gonna speak in, making it impossible for you to know what you're gonna say because you don't know what the events are gonna be. For example, the prodigal son. He didn't know his father was gonna run out there. He got so flustered he forgot the last part of his speech. So, now, it's very interesting in this verse here, verse 20, how when the Lord refers to the Holy Spirit, in verse 20, he calls him the spirit of your father. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of your Father. It's interesting, of all the chapters in Romans, it's the eighth chapter of Romans that speaks more about the Spirit of God than any other chapter, maybe than in the whole Bible. The eighth chapter. I think there's 14 references, I don't remember, to the Spirit of God. But one of them is very interesting, in Romans 8, 9, Romans 8, 9, where it talks about, and I want you to catch the titles of the Holy Spirit in these next couple of verses, starting in Romans 8 9. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him which raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And again, this, the title, he is the spirit of Christ is in 1 Peter 1.11. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ, glory that should follow. All of these titles of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of your Father in our verse, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead. They all show us this close union, this oneness, this echad between the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son. This means that when you see the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in the Gospels, we do not see a person in the person of Christ, who is with wild manifestations of emotions, we don't see a person with uncontrolled movements, we don't see a person shouting, and when people say that wild manifestations of emotions and uncontrolled movements and shoutings are all the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, these verses, where the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ, show us that's not the Holy Spirit because that's not the spirit of Christ. That's not the spirit of the person we see in the Gospels. Now, it's significant here that when the Lord refers to the Holy Spirit, he calls him the spirit of your Father. The Lord Jesus never called the Holy Spirit the spirit of our Father. He never did that. He never said to his disciples, our Father. He did in the Lord's Prayer, but he was teaching them how they should pray. He said, you should say our Father. But he never said our Father with them. Why? He always referred to his Father and your Father, not our Father. And the reason is because there's a difference. There's a difference in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We are children of adoption through faith in Him. He is the only begotten Son of the Father. He's the eternal Son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for preparing those 12 and in so doing, preparing us also to not be anxious, to trust you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day
1: studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at Israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at PO box711330, Santee California 92071. That's PO box 711330, Santee, California 92071, or email Tom Cantor,